Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird kick a young deer off the road and went fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I thought I saw one. It's actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock. You know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. This is your host, Gunnar Monson, also the founder of Sasquatch Coffee. You can check us out at www.squatchcoffee.com. Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it? Yeti. With me always is my good friend and uh, co-host, Shane Hardcore Corson. How are you, Shane? Yo, Gunnar. <laughs> How was your weekend, buddy? Fantastic. Fantastic weekend, uh, you know, planning, uh, gearing up for this show with Trent. I'm really looking forward to it, but I had a great weekend and uh, looking forward to the show. And I understand you had a birthday. I did, I did. I had a birthday <laughs> and I got to celebrate it. Uh, well, you were there. <laughs> got to yeah. celebrate it with uh, some great people. Really uh, had a great time uh, with uh, fellow friends and Bigfooters. Um, yeah, even uh, Cliff. Even, uh, you know, Cliff Brackman had an appearance, so that was nice of him to show up. <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it was a good time, so it was a good way to spend a Friday Friday evening. So um, I'd like yeah. to welcome our – we have a, a couple of new members to the the uh, Monster X family team. Loriana and, and Julie have joined us as admins and, and uh, are helping us out with promoting the show and, and – uh, Posting in the group and all kinds of stuff. So, welcome aboard to Julie and Loriana. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, this is it. Should be an interesting show. I uh, I watched Trent's episode um, earlier this week, and so some ways I you know I I'm more familiar with Trent than a lot of uh, friends. I I've seen him naked, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
but it it was an interesting show. He he's uh, uh has the distinction of having been um gone solo on the show for the longest stretch of time. Uh after three days his his uh, partner um I don't know who if you know how many people are familiar with the show but basically the concept it's a, a guy and a a gal and they they have not met before and uh, they go out and it's uh, basically a survival you bring a, each person brings uh, one item with them um, and you're naked and and uh, it's a survival show so they they uh, you know, get together and and uh, have to make it through a 21 day stretch um, out in the wild. So um, I enjoyed. Yeah, I, I to be honest with you, I have not watched had not watched the show. I've seen pieces of it before, but Trent was the first full episode that I sat down and watched, and it was it, it was riveting. So <laughs> I mean, it was interesting stuff that you know I I don't know that'd be that'd be an interesting experience to be out there naked and. And uh, it would be spooky, especially if you end up, yeah, you end up by yourself, you know. And I said Trent uh, made it all the way through and and uh, for 18 days all by himself. So, yeah, pretty interesting. Pretty interesting, and uh, it, it was interesting his choice of item or the items he chose <laughs> to bring out there. I, you know, that was classic look by his partner, the, the female. Uh, yeah, you know, she she brought a. She brought like the uh, the hatchet and uh, the uh, and, and he brought you know <laughs> yeah he brought he brought a hammock <laughs> a hammock so, but but if you watch the show you'll see that yeah it was it actually turned out to be kind of hand, a handy thing to have so um but and she I think she she actually brought flint so they were actually able to to uh, start a fire all right and, correct and, yeah yeah and yeah, this it particular was episode was in the jungles of Belize. So, mm-hmm. uh, and he, you know, he had all kinds of stuff. He had crazy weather and, and, uh, had, had something that was visiting him at night. So I'm ready to, 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 uh, talk to Trent and see how he, uh, made it through. And he, and he also, there's, yeah, besides that, I almost forgot besides the, you know, being on naked and afraid and having the distinction of being, going solo the longest, Trent actually has a Bigfoot story he's going to share with us So, from his from childhood. So I'm excited to hear about that, too. Yes, indeed. And, and, and so, uh, if you are ready, I am ready to, to uh, talk to Mr. Trent Nielsen. Yeah, let's bring him on. All right. Good evening, Trent. Hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Happy to be here. Oh, thanks for joining us. So, Trent, tell us a little bit of uh, your background and stuff. How how did you end up being naked and afraid? <laughs> that's a, that's a great <laughs> story all in itself. <laughs> um, I actually it was it was one of those nights where I was about two in the morning, and I'm trolling the computer because I couldn't sleep, and a pop up came up and said, "Hey, do you want to be on this show?" It was an adventure show on the National Geographic Channel, and I thought, hey, why not? So I uh, I applied, and then they called me the next day, and I was like, wow, that was quick. And and I went through the casting, and they wanted to have me on their show, but then they canceled the show. And it was about a week after that 
that the Discovery Channel called me, and I guess, I don't know, somebody threw my profile over to Discovery, and they called me and said, hey, we were looking at your profile, and and uh, Naked and Afraid is our show. You want to do it? And I, I hurried and Googled Naked and Afraid, and I'm like, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I'm always up for a challenge. Why not? So it, it kind of evolved from that. So so they actually reached out to you and, and uh, asked if you wanted to be on the show. That's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was cool because they told me they have, like, thousands of applications every month, and so I, I feel very fortunate that they did call me. Well, um, so, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a tickle in my throat. But uh, you you ended up, you had the distinction of being on there for for the longest period of time by yourself. Um, and what was, I mean, what was that like? Because you go in expecting to have some company during those 21 days in the the wilds of uh, the jungles of Belize by yourself, and you end up, you know, completely alone there. Right. When when they told me, they, they told me, they sent me an email and said, your location is the Maya Mountains of Belize. It's way south in Belize. And so I, immediately I get on, I get on the internet and I start googling Belize attributes about Belize, and and really the only thing I can find is it's the largest jaguar preserve on the planet. Oh, great. And so I'm thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm going to have a partner there because if something happens, you know, if I run faster than her, I'm okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding about that. But, <laughs> yeah. but so but yeah, you, you you try to prepare everything you can mentally and and physically walking around barefoot. But everything that you prepare is with a partner. And I'll tell you, in survival situation, another body there with you, it's your greatest survival tool because survival, 99% mental, 1% everything else. Yeah, you seem to be, I mean, you seem to have no problem at all. You were very supportive of of your partner when she was, you know, for the three days that she was there. And, uh, and it and it you could see a big change when when uh, the fir- your first night alone and a lot of that your your uh, fear of the you had a fear of the dark going into this. Well, when I was when I was about ten years old and I grew up in the mountains. Let me just get that out of the way. When I was eight years old, my ten year old brother and I we would go camping alone in the mountains. We had cougars outside our tents. We'd take guns with us, and my dad raised us kind of on the land, so we, we didn't grow up in the city and afraid of everything. There's not a lot that scares me, but but when we were young, and we'll get into this a little later, I, I actually did have an experience that I'm not the biggest, baddest creature out there, and I have no night vision. So the dark, growing up in the mountains and having things walking around the tent, stalking me, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> of course not. Yeah, Trent, you, and, uh, you, you also call yourself, you know, you're uh, semi-survivalist what does that mean exactly well it's i have a background of growing up in the mountains we hunted everything my dad was a big hunter and we were always in the mountains doing something and there's there's times we're stranded we build snow caves things like that so i know the basics about survival i've never gone into a survival situation where where i didn't have an out where there wasn't a truck and a gun a mile away so, yeah, I, I grew up in the mountains, but to actually be in a situation, that's never happened to me. Right. I mean, how do you, how do you prepare, you know, being 
naked? I mean, how do you prepare for that? Did you do any preparation? Did you walk around your house naked or your backyard preparing for the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my kids said, "Hey, Dad, we're going to dump out our Legos, and you just walk on them every day. Your feet will be fine." <laughs> but that, yeah, I mean, physically to prepare for it, your feet, your feet, you're going to be on your feet every day doing something, and that's physically that's the best thing. Also, the a month before I went out, I cut sugar, I cut caffeine, alcohol, anything like that, because I knew I was going to be out there almost a month, and it was going to be total organic and paleo. I may as well start getting my body in shape for that. Yeah, absolutely. You, I, I, on the show, it it looked a lot like you didn't get a lot to eat. Yeah, unfortunately, we're out there for 21 days, and they only have 42 minutes to air. Uh-huh. Um, there's there's actually an uncensored episode. My first meal was six days in, and tarantulas. You, you wouldn't think that, but they're fantastic to eat. Yummy. Well, how, so, so let's talk about that a little bit, because I did read that you you said that uh, they had cut out a part where you're picking your tooth with a tarantula fang. <laughs> yeah, it was actually... And, and if you watch the episode, I just got to give my disclaimer, hashtag love handles or food storage. I, I pulled <laughs> up before I went out because I, I knew that, you know, food is scarce when you're out there naked. And, hey, I'm naked. There's not going to be a lot of animals around. They probably scared everything. It was, it was about a weekend, six days in, and I remember the producer says to me, he says, hey, Trent. I'm like, yeah? He goes, you hungry? Because you don't even act like you're hungry and you haven't eaten one thing for six days. And honestly, you're so busy out there. People, you know, you go camping and people, you sit in your chairs and you stoke the fire and it's so comfortable. That's not the situation on Naked and Afraid. (laughs) Because, number one, you can't let your fire go out. We're in Belize. It's soaking wet. If that fire goes out, it's ridiculous to start, even with fire starter. So about every hour, I have to restoke the fire night and day. So the most I ever sleep, 45 minutes maybe, and uh, and it's just go, it's seriously, it's just mentally go, go, go. But um, I hadn't eaten, and then he mentioned this, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, yeah, I really am hungry. And so all of a sudden, my alerts are not to collect firewood and reinforce the shelter, they're for food. And I find a snake. It was a coral snake. And in the Maya Mountains, there's a lot of ruins, and they're rocky, so you can't, with bare feet, obviously, you can't walk very fast on it. And the snake got away. And I was just like, oh, that would have been such a great meal. And I turned to leave, and I have my snake stick in one hand, and I have a machete in the other. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a big black thing. And I turn and look, and seriously, the size, I mean, it was massive this jungle tarantula coming up out of the leaves. And I just kind of stuck it with a stick, and I looked up at the cameraman and said, I'm going to eat this. <laughs> so they were like, oh, cool, and they get all in position. And I, I actually I threw it on the fire. I charred it up really well, and I'm holding it in my hand, and the legs are kind of drooped over my fingers, and right behind the back of the head, it's crack, the, the fire is just charred and cracked open, and, you can see this bright, white, flaky meat, just kind of like a white fish. And so I grab a little bit, and I taste it, and I put it in my mouth. Tasted just like barbecue. And all of a sudden, all my glands let down, the saliva, and I just dug in, and I just started eating it. And, you know, next thing I know, it's 
it's gone. And it was about a golf ball sized chunk of meat. And you can see the back of the head. I don't mean to get too graphic, but and <laughs> I just ate all the meat, and then I have it all in my teeth. And I'm looking at this spider, and it's seriously half inch bangs. And so I just pop one of them out. Perfect to clean my teeth out. It it actually worked really well. Uh, <laughs> you got to do what you can do when you're out. You know, when you're naked and afraid. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Trent, you uh, you now you guys got to bring items out there. Your item uh, was a little bit different than what I, I consider, you know, what most would bring out there. Uh, what? Why did you bring, you know, uh, what you did? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm naked and afraid. Not a lot of people know this, but they ask you to bring four items, and then the uh-huh. producer will choose one item. So I brought uh-huh. a machete, a big Bowie knife, and and a couple of hammocks. And they chose the hammock for me, and I was so excited because cordage. You can do anything with cordage. And I knew if I didn't have a knife, you, there's there's materials. You can make things, spears, tools, things like that. But to have cordage for traps, the shelter I built, it had a great big garage hinge door. and It, was, it turned out great. But the producer did ask me. He says, hey, we're going to have you bring the hammock, but don't tell your partner right away what it's for. And it was it was honestly classic. When she saw that I brought a hammock, the look in her eye was like, "You seriously, dude? What are you thinking?" <laughs> but it turned. We we used every strand of that hammock, and it it was a lifesaver in a lot of different situations. Yeah, yeah. Your your shelter was pretty. Uh, I really I really liked your shelter. I thought it was well made and constructed, um, and with uh, what was going on outside your tent or outside your, your sleeping arrangement at night, I thought you looked um, fairly safe uh, and whatnot, but obviously, you know, you felt otherwise at times. Yeah, and, and I built the shelter, and, and what they didn't show, it was a big A-frame. I could walk around in it, and I actually had a storage area to keep firewood dry, and then I built my bed right in front of the fireplace and built a shelter over that. So I had actually had a shelter inside of my shelter. So I felt very secure. And the, the the problem was that they didn't show on TV. When this thing would come up to the shelter, it was only after it rained. And my guess is it washed my send away. So I would be laying there at night. It would start to rain. And I'm like, oh, I love the rain, but don't stop. Because it would end, and I would hear something down in the jungle crashing around. And honestly, it, I would hear trees falling over way down in the jungle, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, here we go. And it would track back and forth. It didn't just walk up to the shelter. And, again, I grew up in the mountains. I know predators. I know deer. I know elk. I know bear. This thing was running a perimeter around the shelter, and I sat there for about 40 minutes listening to it go back and forth, north and south, come close, go back far away. And it finally came right up to the shelter where I was laying on the shelter, where I was in the shelter, and it pushes on the shelter. I just, I can hear it, and I can feel it push on the side wall of the shelter. And that was, the, and when it did that, I smacked the side of the shelter with my machine, and I'm like, ha, get out of here. And seriously, it just went crashing off through the jungle. Trees were falling down. It was, and I'm totally exposed. Think about it. You don't have any clothes on. You don't have any shoes on. You're in a jungle. 
I've never been in the jungle. I don't know what sounds are out there. And you're, right. yeah, and my producer's like, well, you have a machete. And I'm like, yeah, it's 16 <laughs> inches long. I have to be 16 inches away to defend myself. <laughs> I mean, and it's pitch black. It's a little bit nerving. Yeah. So, so yeah. The, on the show, the sound, I mean, were the sounds that they played of whatever was outside the, I call it the Night Stalker, were those the actual sounds that it made, or were those put into the show as in after, you know, the editing? Well, it, it sounded like yeah. a cat. Right. The first night that it happened, there weren't any sounds. You could hear it, and you could hear it tracking back and forth, and you could hear it come up and push on the shelter. And they, they put one sound mic outside of the shelter. Because they, they had an infrared camera. They have one on every episode. They put an infrared camera on one side of the shelter, but this was on the dark side. But they did have a sound mic, so it picked up all the sounds of the animal. Mm-hmm. And then when it went crashing in the jungle, they they came up the next day and they listened to it. And they were like, holy cow. We, and my producer says, he goes, we know you're not lying because we heard everything. So they they put up sound mics all over the place. And a lot of the sounds came maybe down in the jungle a little bit that they piped in for the episode. Mm-hmm. But all the sound mics picked up everything. Their cameras tried to get it. They tried so hard. But they have a scout on location with every episode, and the scout said, these animals, they can get around night vision. Because if you've ever looked at a night vision scope, where mm-hmm. the light source is, it's really bright. Right. And he says they just they just walk around that. It's not a big deal for animals. So their cameras, the cameras, they were having a hard time getting anything, but the sound mics picked up everything. So you're out there, and I'm, what do you think the that it was that was coming in? Do you have any ideas? Well, I, I had studied all the animals in Belize. I mean, obviously there's right. Jaguar. And right. the night of the big scare, I radioed down, and they everybody ran up to my shelter in the middle of the night. And they they did perimeters around the shelter and said, we don't find any tracks. It's not a Jaguar. And I'm like, I know it's not a Jaguar. I never hear a Jaguar coming. That's I, I know that. And then they thought it was maybe a tapir. A tapir is a jungle cow. And, and the scout says they weigh anywhere from two to 500 pounds. But the ground is always soft, no tracks. And so it baffled the crew. And they actually even considered having one of the scouts camp next to me because they were so worried about it because they heard it, but they didn't, there were no tracks. And it was, it was about two weeks in, and the producer was talking to the scout, and he says, hey, did you find any tracks today? He's like, no, no tracks. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I got to say something. So I says to the producer, I says, hey, I've been walking around here for two weeks. You don't see my tracks. And he says, well, yeah, you walk upright and you're flat footed. And I'm like, I know, right? And then there was just that awkward silence for about 30 seconds. And uh, and then he's like, oh, okay, I got you. And then he started Googling you know, legends of Belize and Sasquatch, Bigfoot, all that stuff. But it it was it honestly was awkward because there was something big stalking the shelter, never found any tracks. And they set they set bait out for it. It would take the bait. They never ever saw it. Strangest thing. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, that is 
that is odd. So, but they do have they do have stories of of Bigfoot like creatures in Belize. Is that what you're saying? They do actually. There's there's the El Duenden, and it, it's supposed to be a like a dwarf like Bigfoot that attacks children, according to the legends. And then they have the I think it's called the El Sesamite. I may be destroying that, but that's the that's equivalent to the western Western Hemisphere Sasquatch. And there are reports of it. They there are just like here in the U.S. in the Western states. There's there's reports and beliefs too of the exact same thing. That's wow. That's that's very interesting. And I have to ask you this because I know this is probably run through some people's minds. Now we're talking about a a, a TV show, um, and and you know producers and whatnot sometimes have different motives. Was there any way possible? That they they introduce some of the or some of these sounds to perhaps scare you and make a better TV show. Good question because I thought the exact same thing, and uh, I told the producer and and every day when I'm up there the, there's always a producer, a cameraman, and a sound guy, and they come up and they they come up about eight nine ten in the morning and they leave about four or five in the afternoon. And then they go to their base camp or hotel or whatever, wherever they stay. In my situation, they were about five miles down the canyon. They were way far away, and they were they were staying at a farm. And I told my producer, I says, dude, seriously, if this is you guys messing with me, I will stab this machete through the shelter. And if it hits <laughs> one of you guys, I will feel bad. But you know what? Too bad for you guys. And he looked at me right in the eye, and he says, Trent... Do you know how lazy we are right now? Because our conditions aren't much better than yours, and there is no way we're hiking five miles up this canyon to mess with you at night. <laughs> and, and like I said, they, they even considered having the scout camp next to me because every morning, first thing, they would all rush up to my camp. They would grab all the sound equipment. They would listen to it, watch the videos. And the producer even said to me, he says, this kind of freaks us out. We don't, we don't really know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, was, was there any thought of, of uh, pulling you out of that area or, or uh, relocating you? I know you mentioned that on the show, I, I believe, about moving locations. Yeah, the unfortunately, the area I was at, they, cause they scout out the locations, obviously, for numerous reasons of kind of where they want you to be. And the location that I was at, it was on top of a mountain. It was a big hill. But if I was to go anywhere, it was deep down in the canyons, in the canopy of the jungles, and it was wet, it was buggy, it just it wasn't very habitable to live. And so th- we didn't have a lot of options other than just keeping on the top of the mountain. And that's why they said, maybe we should have this guy camp next to you, just for safety purposes. But they, they monitored it very close. Obviously, a show like this, they don't... <laughs> They take a lot of safety precautions because we are out in the wild. We're very exposed, and uh, they they put all the things in place to keep us safe that they can. Right. Well, even with the little they do, you know, kind of uh, arrange uh, ahead of time, you're still, I mean, you're still out there naked uh, and, and trying to survive, you know, getting water, shelter, food, fire, the whole nine. It It's a pretty, uh, you know, for... Uh, and most of the most of the the guests they have on the show because I've watched the show time and time again, 
um, you know, some are, you know, have a little bit more survival skills and whatnot, but you're still, you're thrown in these, these scenarios uh, that are just at times unbelievable and totally foreign to yourself. You know, I mean, what was, what was someone like, what was the biggest hurdle you found out there? Was it the food um, or was it when, when your, your, uh, co- your partner left? Uh, was that, I mean, what was the biggest hurdle for you? Yeah, my biggest hurdle was water. And they don't show it very much, but they put me on top of a mountain and on my map that they gave me. And honestly, guys, this show, when Discovery brought it forward, Naked and Afraid, yeah, Naked will draw people, but they wanted to create (laughs) the most exposed reality show ever. And to take away your clothes, honestly, that is your number one shelter. And so that's where the Naked came from. And you're so exposed Shelter, water, fire, food, those are your basics. I could build a shelter. The water on my map, it showed water on either side of me, but honestly, it was an hour hike one way just to get to the water. And so that, and I require a lot of water. My radiator is broken. I'm always hot. So I drink a lot. And it was so hard because water, you have to hack through that jungle and it's straight down off the mountain and you have, whatever goes down has to come back up. So water, water was my biggest hurdle. And you, did you use the, uh, you cut bamboo at the, on the way in. Was that how you transported your water? It, it was. Look like that. And yeah. they, canoe, they canoed us up a river and bamboo will only grow by water. And when I saw on the map that our location of where we were to go was at the top of a mountain, that's when I told my partner, I said, we've got to truck as much bamboo as we can up there because there's not going to be any bamboo up there. And so we, and that's the hammock right away came into play because we created a hoist and just hauled seriously 100 pounds of bamboo straight up the mountain. And it, it was a lifesaver. It's what we built a shelter with. It's what we collected water in. I mean, we did, I made a bow. They didn't really show it, but you could see it on my back when I was when I was extracting. The bamboo was a lifesaver. That's cool. The the uh, so while you were there too, you there were you experienced some weather. <laughs> I mean, you had there was there was a period of time like several days where you couldn't even uh, at least on the show it looked like you couldn't leave your shelter. Is that was that accurate or? Well, it was yeah, and and seriously, when weather comes in and you're in a rainforest, it's not like it rains. <laughs> it's brutal rain, and it rains hard, and the winds come with it. There were a couple of nights I felt like my shelter was going to blow off the mountain, but honestly, that shelter was so awesome. And I would lay there on my cot, and I'd open that garage door, and I could just watch that canopy of the jungle and those storms roll in. And when they would hit, I would close that big door, and I would just lay there and just love the weather. It, I felt the shelter turned out really, really well. But the weather was brutal. Hurricane wind. It was, I mean, and that's scary, too, because if your shelter's gone, and then you're even more exposed. It's, and so the, the whole premise of the story, I mean, your, your partner left three days in, um, and you made it the entire uh, 21 days. And that was, of course, the longest stretch that anybody had had done by themselves. Um, did, were you aware of that at the time that you you know you were you were uh, on 
on a par to to uh, set set a, a new precedent? No, I didn't. That um, honestly, that thought wasn't in my head because the raw aspect of it is: if I'm not warm at night, I'm dead. If I don't mm-hmm. find food, I'm dead. If I don't drink, I'm hurting. If I don't have shelter, so the aspects of the things we think about when we're at home sitting on our couch, they're not in your mind when you're out there. All all I could think of was I've got to make this work. I promised my kids I wouldn't tap out. I have teenage kids, and when I left, they said, Dad, would you ever consider tapping out? You know, and as a dad, you want to be an example to your kids. And I said, no, there's no way I'll ever tap out. I will make it work. So I promised them. I promised my girlfriend. I promised myself. And I remember laying there thinking, I could tap out. But then I thought, what what does that teach my kids? What, is, what, what does that teach me? So I go home and something gets hard, you just leave, you tap out. What, that's, I'm not okay with that. When I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And, and I made it work, and it, it turned out really well. Yeah, I guess. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Go ahead, Chad. Yeah, I guess some, the toughest the toughest uh, thing out there, I would imagine, is is your mental stability uh, is a lot of it. I mean, 99% of it is probably mental. If you can get past that, then you got a good chance of uh, completing the task at hand. Oh, you, and you're absolutely correct. It is Most of it is mental because I learned out there, if I could keep myself mentally strong, my body would do anything it needed to do. There were There were times when I thought, there's no way my body will keep up, but if my mind did it, my body would keep up. And at night... My girlfriend, she told me, she says, Trent, you have to be grateful for something at the end of the day, every day. And so at night, I would just, and there were nights when I'm like, I'm grateful that I didn't cut my foot. I'm grateful that I didn't die today. It was that silly. But just to have something to be grateful for, to push you through. Because when we sit at home and we look at this and we think, why didn't they do that? Why didn't they do this? Oh, my gosh. Seriously, go out in your backyard tonight when it's midnight. And sleep. You can have your clothes on. Just go sleep out there on the lawn. It's not that comfortable. <laughs> it's. Do you ever think about things you don't think about? It's so easy to judge what's going on. But when you're when you're not eating, when you're not drinking, when you're, I mean, it would get in the 40s. And I remember just huddling by that fire and trying to stay warm at night, just waiting for the sun to come up. That's mentally exhausting. Yeah. That's true for, uh, you know, when people are put in positions like that, it I, I find that, uh, and I've been in a few herring situations, not not for like 21 days, but it is mental when you're in these scenarios, um, you know, you know, you, you got to really reel yourself in. And uh, I like your, I like the, uh, your idea of, of uh, being thankful for something, you know, every night. That's, uh, it's a good way to, you know, um, keep yourself happy. You know, it reminds me of the movie, movie Castaway. Uh, where where uh, Tom Hanks, you know, he had the beach ball, and that was his friend, and, and that kept his, you know, some sanity and, and him grounded. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. We laugh at it, but it, when you're in that scenario, you have to keep positive. My partner, she, she, there were things that she couldn't stay mentally positive, and it ate her up fast. And you saw how, I mean, if you've seen the episode, you see how fast it chews you up and spits you out. If you're not right. mentally there, well, you seemed yeah, like was, a great, great person to be out there with because you were so uh, welcoming and uh, encouraging. 
And I know that's a huge part of the survival out there. Oh, absolutely. And and honestly, I have to give credit to my girlfriend, Sherry Joyce. She, when I left, she told me, she says, you do. Because, I mean, think about it. You're in a relationship. You're going to go out there and camp with a naked chick for 21 days. Uh, <laughs> is there honestly a girl on the planet that's going to be okay with that? But she told me, she looked me right in the eye and she says, Trent, you do whatever you have to do to keep her comfortable. She goes, I understand psychology. I understand the hierarchy of needs. You don't worry what happens. I trust you. Don't worry about how Discovery airs it. You take care of her because she is your greatest survival asset. And I can't even tell you how comfortable that makes you feel going into a situation knowing this is a survival situation. We have to do what we have to do. Because there's past episodes yep. where they fight and they bicker and it's miserable right. and then one taps out and everybody, it's it's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if you, you entered the the situation with the intention, you know, no intention, you didn't give yourself the out of half an hour. So, and I think probably some people do th- go in thinking, you know, it, worse, if I don't like it, I'll just tap out, you know, so... Kudos to you. Plus, hey. you had the added challenge of of having a pretty intense fear of the dark going in. <laughs> yeah, that didn't help much. <laughs> but and, and that's so, why I built a shelter like I did. Honestly, I built a shelter mm-hmm. inside the shelter because I'm like, if something's getting in, it's going to have to struggle to get in. I'm not going to get eaten that easy. Well, that that. Uh, how did that play out for you? Because it seemed like at the end of the the episode, at, at the end of the 21 days, that you had had pro- worked your way worked through that quite a bit. Yeah, it, I actually come to peace with it. And the last the last week, I I would I would night would come, and it was it's the strangest thing. If you've never been to the jungle, the jungle is beautiful, and the birds, and there were 50 something parrots that would land in the tree above me every night, and they would do their little chirps and, and squawking and all the birds and and I would lay on my cot and the fireplace was going and I was on top of the mountain and you'd see the sunset go down with that jungle canopy on the other side and I remember thinking oh my gosh people would pay bucks to be here and see this and then that night would fall and the black would come and I'd shut the door and all the sounds would move from the trees to the ground and they were sounds I've never heard before and I don't know. I, I mean, I grew up in the mountains. I know what to listen for. Out there, totally different ball game, and I had no clue what the sounds were. Right. What, what time did what time did did this you know this thing that was circling your your camp and whatnot you know steer back a little bit? What time? Uh, I mean, what time would this thing come? Was it religiously come back to your camp at the same time, the same hour, or? Yeah, good question. The first night it came that I noticed it was my first night alone after my partner had left. And it only came after it would rain. And I don't know if it's because it washed my scent off the mountain, but every few nights it would rain, and I would listen to that rain, and I would be like, I love the rain. Don't quit raining. Don't quit raining. And the rain would stop. And it was interesting because I would hear down in the jungle, I would always hear a tree crash. After the the rain quit, I would hear a tree way down in the jungle just crash. And then I would hear what sounded like, I don't even know how to explain it, like if you had 15, 20 billy goats and they were tap dancing on rocks, just this crackle 
on rocks down in the jungle. And then you could hear it because the jungle floor is covered with dry leaves. You could hear it walking, and then it would track back and forth. It never walked right up to the shelter. I would listen sometimes 30 to 45 minutes and just... And you know when it's dark and you close your eyes and you listen to every sound? Mm -hmm. That's what it was like. And I would just listen to it track around the shelter and come up close and then go back and then come up closer and then go back and then come at a different angle. So it was like it was stalking the shelter. It it would (laughs) only come after the rain. If it didn't rain, it never came to the shelter. Yeah, you, you probably don't have an idea of time though. I was I was wondering if it was early morning, uh, you know, um, midnight. Yeah, usually usually the rains would die off around midnight to three in the morning. So it was it was deep into the night. Usually between midnight to three four in the morning is is when it would happen. Yeah. So that, yeah, that makes it even more. I mean, you're you're out there and you're you're trying to sleep, and and know then knowing that, you know when the rain stops <laughs> that you can expect a guest is, I mean, that's, that's gotta be a little like get your, and especially given the fact that you had this fear of the dark, which I'd like to get into as where, where the fear of the dark came from. As you talk about, well, I mean, to me, one of the coolest things about, about Trent Nielsen on, on naked and afraid is Trent Nielsen has the, the, uh, uh, is the only person on naked and afraid that has, uh, claim to have a a Bigfoot encounter, so yeah, the the Bigfoot encounter. And when I when I did my casting with the Discovery Channel, they they asked me. They says, "Tell us something that nobody else knows about you." And you know, my, your mind's immediately rushing. What does nobody know about me? And honestly, when when I was ten years old, I had an encounter with Bigfoot, and ever since then, the dark. I don't have night vision. I don't have sharp claws. <laughs> there, there's things out there that are bigger, stronger, and faster than me. And ever since that encounter was in 1980, I was 10 years old. I have, I've never been outside without a weapon, a gun. I've, I just don't do it because of what happened when I was 10 years old. Well, let's talk about that that encounter. Let's go back to the day that. So what what happened? I mean, it it affected you quite a quite a bit. What what was? Go ahead and describe the encounter for us. So let me let me give you a little bit of preface to it first because it'll make a lot more sense. Um, I grew up in the country, North Ogden, Utah, and there there was a tight knit neighborhood, and we were a couple miles outside of that neighborhood, and our house was on the side of the mountain, and there, we had a couple of neighbors, but not a lot. And for several weeks, there were reports every single night of seeing the Sasquatch um, and something different happening. I'll tell you a couple of stories. But the thing about these encounters was when we would hear the stories, it wasn't just something you saw printed in the newspaper. It wasn't just a story you heard. They were people we knew. It was the guy on city council that knew everyone. It was... It was one of the leaders in the local church. It was one of the neighbors that that everybody respected. So when the reports would come out, it wasn't just a story. It was, wow, there's no way that guy would just make that up. We know that person. We know this family. And uh, let me just share a couple of the stories that happened during that time with you. Because 
it was, I mean, the whole community banded together. And it was the summer of 1980, and I have three brothers, two older, one younger, and we would sleep outside every night in the summers. When it was summer vacation, we didn't have school. But a couple of the stories leading up to this, um, that as, as the community got together and talked, there's a trout farm that was about a mile west of our home. And if you know what a trout farm is, they're big cement rectangle tanks. You walk up, you dip your line in, you pull out a fish, you go have them lay it up and take it home. And we knew the owners of the trout farm. And um, one morning he walks into his trout farm and he comes to the first tank and he sees a couple of fish up on the bank. And there's bite marks out of them. And he's like, that's strange. Walks up into the farm a little bit more, notices a couple other tanks. There's a fish or two up on the bank. Some of them are broken in half. And, and bite marks like a human bite mark, not, a, not an animal where it just tears into it and digs out the protein. And he gets to his big main pond, and at the front of the pond, it's dirt, because that's where everybody stands, wears out the grass. 14-inch footprint. And then the ponds are about 9, 10 feet deep, and you can see in the pond at the bottom where it had stepped in the pond and the moss had parted and walked across the pond and up into the trees on the other side. And the Utah Fish and Game actually have a plaster cast of that footprint today, and, and you can you can actually see it and view it and check it out. So that was just down from our house. We have my neighbors that were big hunters, and they're always scoping the hill. And they have their binoculars out one day sitting in their lawn chairs, and they see what looks like a bear walking up the mountain. And bear are very rare around those parts. So they go get their big scopes, and they notice it's walking on hind legs up the mountain. So they go trucking on up after it, and this was right above our house. And they got within 20 yards of it two or three times, and they said it was a big, hairy creature walking on two legs. And they noticed, they said we got so close, we could see that there was a lighter ring of hair around the center of its back, about shoulder blade level. And they followed it up two ridges, and then the thing just took off, and, and it was gone. One other story is our neighbors that lived across the street, they had moved down from Idaho, a big potato state. They still own the potato farm. And they would bring down 100-pound sacks of potatoes every year for all the neighbors. And I remember the, the neighbor says to my dad, he says, oh, I'm glad you got your potatoes. And my dad's like, um, actually, we went to get them because you said you left them out by the barn. They weren't there. He says, we never got them. He's like, really? That's strange. He goes, I had your name on the sack and everything. I can't imagine somebody would take it. But it was about a month later, I was I was in scouts. We went hiking up the canyon, Coldwater Canyon to be exact. We're about five, six miles up the canyon. Well, guess what we found off the trail? 100-pound <laughs> sack of potatoes with the name Nielsen on it. And you could see the potatoes around the trail, and we all looked at it, and you could see what looked like bite marks right out of the, a bunch of the potatoes. So some had packed 100-pound sack of potatoes up the canyon about five, six miles. Mm. So wow. so these stories are going on every night. I mean, every single night you're hearing a different story. And we wanted to sleep outside so bad. And like I said, we grew up in the mountains. We're not, I'm like, 
dad, my dad's like, I don't want you sleeping outside. We're like, what? Come on. You believe in this Bigfoot stuff, whatever. <laughs> Even though everybody's talking about it. And then my dad went out of town for business. And so us kids are like, pitch tents. We're sleeping outside. <laughs> so we, we, my oldest brother and youngest brother, they were in a big seven-man dome tent. And then I was 10. My 12-year-old brother were in one of those little tiny triangle tents that you barely fit in. And it was about, gosh, I'd say 10, 10.30 at night. And we have the flashlights on. We're playing cards. The kids in the other tent were asleep. And we hear something walking around the yard. And we know it's on two feet. We know what four feet are. We know what two feet are. So we flip off the lights, and we're just listening. And it comes up to the tents. You can hear it sniffing. Just starts circling the tents. You hear it go, leave, go around the house, come back, circling the tents, sniffing around a little bit more, and then it leaves. And then we hear off in the distance what sounds like if you were to take a bunch of two-by-fours and throw them on top of each other, it sounded like that sound, like wood being stacked on top of one another. And I remember I said to my brother, I go, oh, it's just a neighbor stacking his wood. And my brother said, he doesn't have any wood. And it was true. He was a big, eco-friendly his entire roof was solar panels. He would never have a piece of lumber to save his life. And so we're just laying there listening. We throw the cards down. We lay down, and we're listening to every little sound. And it comes back to the tents. And about this time, this is the next day talking to my mom, she was inside the house, and my little sister wanted to sleep out in the tents. So my little sister had fallen asleep. My mom packs her up. She says she goes down the stairs to the front door to go outside, and this feeling of not afraid, but don't go outside comes over her. She says, I'm standing there at the door with your little sister, and I just have this emotion of do not go outside. Do not do it. But she didn't want to hear my sister complain, I guess, so she flips on the floodlights and opens the door. When she flips on the floodlights, we're on the side of the house, and the floodlights hit the tents. I'm on the dark side of the tent. The minute those lights come on, something lays down across the tent, buries my shoulder and my leg. I have to pull out of under it, and I roll over missionary style on top of my brother, and that whole side of the tent collapsed in, hiding from the light. Seriously, you want a million thoughts going through your brain. But I knew <laughs> if it's an animal, it's going to either stare at the light or it's going to bolt. If it's a human, it's not going to lay on some kid in a tent to yell. But I didn't yell. <laughs> so there's a million thoughts going in my mind. What is going on? And then I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this creature all the neighbors have been talking about it in our yard? But it laid down on the tent collapsed the entire tent in. My mom says she, she got to the first tent, the big dome tent. She says she was so scared, she zips the tent up, tosses my sister in, didn't even look to see where she landed or what bags were available, zips the tent down, runs back to the house and locks the door. <laughs> we're like, oh, thanks, Mom. You, we escaped the clutches of the beast and we die on the doorstep. But, but it, it was that scary to her. And then she flips the floodlights off, and it was about a minute, minute and a half later, poof, the tent pops up, and it leaves. 
and we were like, we're not leaving this tent. We're not getting out. We were pretty, we were pretty freaked out at that point. So we laid there for hours, and then we finally dozed off. And the next morning, we wake up. We zip up the tent. We peek out. We walk around to the back of the house, and this was back in the day when we had a big wood-burning stove, and we'd just been logging. And there were 100-pound logs that we had stacked behind the house with my dad. All those logs were all across the backyard, just all over the backyard. And what we determined was we had baby kittens that lived in the wood pile. And we figured whatever it was was throwing these logs trying to get to the kittens. And then we go up in our pasture to our rabbit cages. And there are wood, wood frame cages on four-foot stilts with the chicken mesh wire. And they all have the hook and, hook and clip latches. Every single cage was secure. All the locks were done up, the, the hook locks. Every rabbit was gone and there was blood in every cage. And about 15 minutes later, we found one of the rabbits behind the cages. And it didn't look like it was eaten. It looked like it had just been torn, just kind of ripped apart. Not any, any other animal, you know, they dig in and they eat what they want and leave it. This one, there were no bite marks. There were no, it just looked like it had been torn up. So that was our experience. And in in light of everything going on in the neighborhood, you know, I didn't get a look at it, but the behavior of it, the smell of it, everything that comes along with it, wow, it just made a lot of sense. So how long a period of time, I mean, you said there was all this activity in the the neighborhood prior to, did it continue after that as well? And how long a period of time was that? Yeah, it was about a month, and there were reports every night. And our incident happened right in the middle of it. But for for a solid month, every single night, there were reports in the paper. There was somebody coming forward and saying, this happened, this is my experience. So there were there were a lot of different incidences happening. And what other kind of incidents? So, oh, I, I got a question. Did you ever see... Uh, the kittens anymore after that? Yeah, all the kittens were there. We we dug through okay. there and found them all. They were they were they were all there. So they were they were really tiny and elusive. So they got away. The rabbits <laughs> they weren't so lucky. <laughs> oh, there, let me let me share one other incident with you. One of my best friends, he he was playing church ball one night, and you have the you have our house, and then about a mile west is the fish farm, and then about two more miles west is our is the church we went to, and he's He's playing church basketball one night, and it's time to leave, and so it's it's dusk time, you know, kind of about that time where you should turn your headlights on or not, you don't really know. And he's coming home, and it's easier to cut up through the trout farm rather than go all the way around to the neighborhood. And the trout farm, it's wooded, you're, you're on trails, he's pushing his BMX bike, and he was, he was about 12, 13 at the time, and this is this is how he said it. He says, I'm I'm pushing my bike up through here, up through the trail and I get the feeling something's watching me. He says, So I stop and I look in the trees. I don't see anything. He says, So I go a little further. And seriously guys, I'm like getting the goosebumps telling these stories right now. <laughs> it's, it, it really happened to us. And he says, I go a little further and I just get this feeling something is watching me. We've all had the feeling. And so I stop, and I'm looking at the trees. And he says it was about 10 yards away from me, not very far. And all of a sudden, 
he sees one of the trees sway and it steps forward. And he says it was about nine, ten feet tall, covered in hair, just sitting there watching him. And it took two steps towards him. And he dropped his bike. He ran the rest of the way home. When he got home, he was bawling, like just crying so hard. It took his parents two hours to calm him down before he could even tell his story of what happened. And they actually uh, found footprints kind of in that area where he described where he had he he actually had seen it. And that was that was the neat thing about that is there were so many people that actually visually saw the Bigfoot. And they just described it as a nine, ten foot creature that stood on two legs, hair about four inches long and just <laughs> I mean, these are people we knew. They weren't people that you didn't know. That was that was the thing about it. So what where did you what was the town that you grew up in? North Ogden, Utah. And the, the okay. Yeah, the cul de sac Coldwater Canyon is where all the reports were. So if you Google it, you'll you'll get a lot of the stories that come from that area. And I was just talking to one of the there's a guy out here that he's pretty big into into the Bigfoot. He's had experiences, his kids have had it, they they research quite a bit and he holds he holds Bigfoot I don't know what you want to call it, conferences, but there's a couple hundred people that show up. And and uh, I was talking to, to his daughter the other day, and they said, oh, my gosh, Trent, even today there's still, you know, several times a year sightings and reports coming out in that same area. So, Yeah, this area, this area, I mean, what's the draw there? Why would a, a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch you know, really be in this area? Is there a lot of um, places to retreat back to? Is there a lot of water sources, uh, a lot of, you know, places yep. for something this size to hide? Oh, yeah, the the Wasatch Mountains, they back to the Colorado Rockies. So my backyard, the next human interaction you're going to have is in Colorado. So from Utah to Colorado, it's all mountain range. So there is, it's it's a vast wilderness of mountains. And the the fishing game actually at the at the time where we were on the other side of the valley there were some more mountains and there were there were a lot of reports and they had actually thought that in their preliminary report that there was maybe a mother and a child bigfoot that were separated and they were running the mountain range looking for each other and that's what the fishing game had reported that they thought maybe was happening. Wow. <laughs> And so these, obviously, uh, yeah, obviously, the, uh, when you're 10 years old, that's it, that's a pretty intense experience. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, for even uh, for most adults, that would be a life-changing experience. <laughs> yeah, and I even uh, pulled my. You know, this was back in the day where your parents say, "Write a journal, have a journal, always write a journal." We hated writing our journals. I have like six entries from when I was a kid. But one of them is the day after that happened, and I have the entire experience recorded in my 10-year-old handwriting. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Uh, it's something you can go back to and uh, and share, uh, you know, even down the road. I mean, this this area, you know, uh, seems to have had quite a bit of activity. Why do you think... You know, saying that it is a Bigfoot or Sasquatch, why do you, why do you think it was there? I mean, it was it there to? Uh, it, it doesn't sound like it ate the rabbits per se, um, but it was after you know the kittens possibly and the rabbits, and uh, you know it obviously took you know possibly took off with a bag of potatoes. I mean, this is all food sources possibly. 
Right, right. And, yeah, I mean, all all good questions that, that we, we are all wondering. I mean, we had four rabbits. We found one. There was not a trace of the other three. What it did with those, we don't know. And, and we were little rambunctious kids. We scoured the mountainside everywhere for them, and we only found the one. Um, the area, <clears throat> it, I mean, it's, there's a lot of places to hide. There, and it was actually 10 years later, we had some worldwide Bigfoot trackers show up on our door. And they said, we want to hear your story. Because when this happened, it was all over the news and there were reporters. And But it was 10 years later that they said, hey, we, we heard about the stories. We just we kind of want to talk to you and just get firsthand of what happened. And they had told us that two weeks prior, they had found tracks again above our house. And that was 10 years later. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's all it's just all very intriguing and in, and interesting, especially not just because you guys had a possible encounter, but it sounds like that you know m- members of the area in the town had the, these encounters and sightings and stuff. I mean, it's pretty compelling stuff when you, you know you know you got one witness to something, but then when you start looking at the the whole picture, uh, you know you got something going on there, <laughs> and 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 I'm surprised. You know, I mean, did you guys have any? Were there people, you know, wanting to gather up and go looking for this thing at the time? Oh yeah, all the time. And but it, <laughs> obviously, we all know the Bigfoot is so elusive. There would there would be bands of groups of people if they would hear something, they would go scout it out. But honestly, the only time there was anything ever solid was spur of the moment, and the neighbors would be scoping the mountain and they'd see it, and their little group would run up after it or. Somebody would hear something at night, and they saw something in the backyard, and so they turned on the lights, and they saw it run across the yard. And they would try to put little groups together to go search. And the search parties, every once in a while, they they would hear Mm -hmm. the yells and the screams and things like that, but there there were no sightings when it was a legitimate search party. It It was just sporadic when people had their encounters. And like you said, it was amazing because the reports weren't somebody hiding behind a computer screen making up a story. I, they didn't even have an internet back then. It was all newspaper and and word of mouth, and they were prestigious people in the community that would come forward and say, "Hey, you guys, this is serious. Let me tell you what happened last night." And it wasn't for hype. It wasn't for popularity. It wasn't for. It was for awareness, saying, "Okay, we got a situation in the neighborhood. You guys need to be careful because here's what happened." Those were the type of stories coming out every night. And the, uh, the uh, encounters, did the majority of the encounters that people had take place at night? Um, a lot of them did, but there were day encounters. When they tracked it up above our house, it was the middle of the day. It was like 1, 2 in the afternoon. So a lot of the encounters were at night because somebody would hear something, and then they would go outside or flip on their lights, and they would see something in their backyard or see something in the neighborhood. Um, but there were a lot of day day encounters as well. They're, they're, my neighbors tracked him up the mountain in the middle of the day. They And mm-hmm. unfortunately, back then, there were no such thing as cell phones. It was all, right. you know, the 40-millimeter cameras that you had to go and develop. So it wasn't like today where you can just pull out your phone and take a picture. So, but they saw him. We don't have that. We don't have that much good of luck getting pictures now, even with all the cell phones and instant pictures. So hey, I, I think it's only a matter of I think it's only a matter of time. There's so much people have so much access to media and technology. I think it's only a matter of time before we get something really 
really concrete. So were there Trent, were there other stories where people's pets or or livestock or something were went missing or evidence that they were in the area, you know, that they you you lost your rabbits. What else kind of animal stories were there? Yeah, there was we we had three neighbors by us and one of the other stories is um one of our neighbors he says he heard something at night and he had left his garage open. And so he says I I opened my front door and I could just smell just a musty foul smell. He says and I I looked and he he had a it was kind of a rambler house so he looks down his porch over to his garage and he he clicks his garage thing to close the garage and whatever it was just went bolting out of his garage and up the mountain. Um but he had he had kittens again the kitten thing. He said he had kittens in his garage, and a couple of them were missing when when he went in the garage to check on them. So it was going in there, and it, it had gone in there and taken a couple of the kittens, and he had heard it and came out and scared it off. So there there were there were reports like that. Livestock, bigger animals. I don't I don't have any stories really with that. Um, it wasn't really a farming community. Um, it was just it was a neighborhood, and people had small animals. Not really, not really the big livestock. Gotcha. And so, Trent, your dad, you know, you were talking about earlier about your dad. Your dad comes back, you know, from his trip. Was he uh, ticked off you were out there, and did he believe your story? Oh, he uh, he's the one that had to put the logs back because we couldn't lift them. They were too heavy for us. And so right there, my dad was like, something that was really weird. And that's when he opened up the newspaper and started talking to the neighbors and he says, "Dude, you guys are not sleeping out anymore. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm your dad, and I'm making that decision. You're sleeping in the house from here on out." And because he knew us kids, the logs were huge. We hadn't cut them down yet, and they were just all over the backyard. So it, it gave a little credibility to us. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. Do, do your, uh, do you have any family still in that town? I mean, has there been any, uh, you know, recent reports from this area? I have I have a friend, her name is Shelly, and she grew up in the town, and she's my age. And she actually came to my watch party when my Naked and Afraid episode aired, and she says to me, she says, Trent, she goes, I hope, because I gave my whole story up there on the mountain to, to Discovery. It was unfortunate they didn't air any of it. They just put little blurbs about, oh, I've touched Bigfoot. He laid on me. <laughs> and it made me look like an idiot, but... But uh, she says she she just she just says Trent seriously you need to get with my dad. Her dad is one of the ones that had several encounters with Bigfoot and and he was the go-to guy on the news. And she just says Trent the stories haven't stopped. She says we need to get together. They just keep going and going and going. She says there's there's current sightings even in you know 2015 in the same area, and she still lives in the same area. So wow. Yeah, but unfortunately, like I haven't. I ha- yeah, I haven't had a chance to really sit down with her yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know there's some uh, reports from that area in, in the the uh, BFRO uh, data database. If you're familiar with the, you know, the BFRO, uh, so the area is it's known for activity. Um, you know, living up here in Pacific Northwest, you know, we we've got our full plate of uh, reports and encounters all the time. But I'm always interested to hear uh, from other areas. I mean. Uh, you know, Utah, uh, when I think of Utah, I don't necessarily think 
Bigfoot, you know, um, it takes, you know, someone like yourself to come up forward with an uh, encounter or a story or something for me to, you know, get interested in an area. And uh, right. um, you got quite a, quite a compelling and very interesting and rather herring, hairy story uh, with, with uh, that, that night so many years ago. Yeah, and, and in fact, since, <coughs> excuse me, since my episode aired, I've had a lot of people coming and saying, oh, my gosh, Trent, we got to tell you about this. We got to, and, and they're all from the North Ogden area, so... In the next month or so, I'm going to be meeting with quite a few people, and they're they're saying we we I want to share a story with you that I had last year. I want to share a story that that my kids had. Oh my gosh, there's still so much going on. So I'm I'm kind of interested to to learn a li- kind of delve back into it a little bit. I you know I got caught up in in kids and marriage and corporate America and kind of did the thing, but but now that I'm getting back to my community and and since the episode aired, there's so many people coming out of the woodwork saying, oh my gosh, we have to talk. And these aren't people that are strangers. There's people. They're people that I grew up with, or people's kids that I grew up with that say, "My parents knew you. I want to tell you what happened to us." So it's kind of fun to hear all that. Oh man, that that's epic. It'd be really good if you could put some of this, you know, pen to paper, or 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 get all these reports together because this is like, you know, there's, you know, you got a lot of the, the famous uh, stories out there, the folk monster, Arkansas, and all these different, you know, um, historically. Uh, you know, historical reports of, you know, where a town had something going on for an extended period of time. This sounds like this has the potential to be something like that, and it'd be really cool to get all, you know, these reports together and encounters, uh, you know, over a period of time and just, you know, um, you know, for, for, you know, whatever. I don't know. I'd, be, I'd love to read it or see it. Or <laughs> Sounds interesting and intriguing. And, in fact, I know somebody that uh, does films. Um, they're really good, and they're documentary style and this uh-huh. might be an avenue i think because i'd love to see it uh um told in first person and, and and whatnot so yeah definitely and my my thoughts the same i want to over the next month or two to, to get as many stories as i want in fact i was in contact with the organizer of gosh i don't even know what to call it the last time they did it was in 2011 but it was it was people that have had encounters in the area in the immediate area and anybody that wanted to come listen, and he just threw it out there, and 200 people showed up, and 60, wow. 70 of them were people that had encounters, and, and I was just in contact with him this last week, his daughter anyway, and, and they're saying he's looking at putting something together again. So so he's he's my next call to say, hey, let's get some of these stories together, and, you know, this day and age where media is so accessible, let's let's put it together and, and create something that people can actually put their hands on and watch and listen to and look at. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's well, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's a good, uh, a good Avenue uh, with using social media and stuff nowadays. Uh, you know, you may even get more um, people coming forward with the stuff, maybe some of the outlying areas that uh, people you didn't know or, or, you know, whatnot. Uh, maybe this is much broader than, what it seemed at first. Oh, exactly. I mean, since my episode aired and I said the word Bigfoot on it, I have people from my, my hometown community all the way to Florida right now calling me and saying, I want to share stories with you. I want to, I want to hear your story. I want you to hear mine. So there's, it's actually generated quite a buzz of activity. Yeah. It, it sounds, it sounds like, you know, the naked and afraid episode, you joining that show and doing so well and, uh, gone you a lot of contacts. It's kind of, uh, um, brought some life to your encounter and opened some more doors. I'm excited about possibly what you got 
going on down the road. What what else do you have going on down the road? I mean, is this an avenue you're going to – is this something you're going to jump into? Uh, you got anything else going on? Well, it's it's always been an interest, so we'll see we'll see how it develops. My my girlfriend's a motivational speaker, so she's like, oh my gosh, let's use this episode and overcoming fears for for speaking, and 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 we're so we're kind of running down that road as well. And we do we do like relationship retreats and things like that. So so that it's it's actually jump started that. But with the with the Bigfoot with the things like that, I mean it's it's putting us in front of tons of people. And and with my girlfriend speaking. Everybody wants to hear about Naked and Afraid. Everybody wants to know about Bigfoot. And right. the minute that we start talking about it, people just start pouring out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much fun to see that, you know, there's, you know, the, the thing that amazes me is I'm in Belize. Think about it. 100, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, there's no Internet. There's no express mail. There's no telephone. There's no telegraph. But yet, we have Sasquatch sightings. We have drawings. You go a thousand miles across the world, they have the exact same thing. So, what? What? Two thousand years ago, what did somebody say? All right, I'm going to spend my entire life traveling the world and tell people to think their stories. Yeah, I mean, right. Exactly. Yeah. Really? How, how can you have in Oregon and Utah? these reports and sightings and drawings, you go halfway around the world 300 years ago when people didn't know each other, they didn't have internet, and they have the exact same stories and the exact same drawings. Seriously, think about things you don't think about. So, so Trent, you started a, a Facebook page called Trent Nielsen Adventure Page, So, and I would encourage anybody who wants to follow Trent's adventures to go check it out. Um, on Facebook, Trent Nielsen Adventure Page, and give it a like. So, um, what are you hoping to, you know, you're you're uh, making contacts with Big Pudding? Did had you since your childhood and your your encounter, had you thought about Bigfoot much, or I mean, you just kind of put it away, or? No, I always did. I just didn't have the exposure I do now. I mean, that is something that happens. It never leaves you. It's always in the back of your mind. And every and I go camping a lot with the kids. There's never one time I've been in the mountains I haven't thought of that experience. So, but but to bring it forward and actively talk about it, it's been quite a while since I've done that, but it's always been in the archive of my memory. And the adventure page, I created that just to track whatever avenue I decide to go down and anything exciting that happens, the Bigfoot, I mean, it's so much fun to talk to people that have had encounters. It's so much fun to share my story and, and hear the similarities and, and different things that happen. And and that's kind of what I created the page for was to just share those experiences and, and different things. And, and people are welcome to post on there as well and share things. It's It's just, you know, there's something going on out there and we don't know what it is. Exactly. Hopefully one day we will. Absolutely. What about uh, what are your thoughts? What is a Sasquatch? Uh, do you have any opinions on that? Uh, is this some savage, uh, you know, ape-like beast that's more man-like? I mean, I obviously you haven't seen it, but you got any with the people you've talked to and some of your experiences? You got any uh, thoughts on what Sasquatch may or may not be? Well, I have my opinions, and I have the opinions of those that taught me when I grew up, and I'm going to share both with you. <laughs> Awesome. I, I, I'm from Utah. I grew up LDS, Mormon. And there's a Mormon book called The Miracle of Forgiveness. Page 127, it talks about there was a man 
right? This was back in the 1800s sometime, the early church when it was being organized, the Mormon church. And it talks about a man riding on his mule. And it says, it says a creature, I don't remember the exact verbiage it uses, it says, but I was approached with a man that was covered in hair that stood as tall as I sat on my mule. And I asked him who he was. And he said, I'm cursed to walk the earth. And so in the in the LDS religion, I mean, they don't have any exact stance on it, but they allude to maybe Cain from the Bible. But with our experience and the fish and game saying, you know, there's one over here, there's one over here, and we think they're separated, um, my, my thought is, it's as good a guess as anybody's. I, I 100% believe there's something out there. What it is, I don't know. I love to hear stories. I love to hear research because to gain any more knowledge than what I have, I love that because there is no doubt in my mind there's something out there. There's those experiences I had when I was a kid. You can't take those from me. And right. they were people that we trusted. They were people that were esteemed in the community. It wasn't stories that were made up. It wasn't something you just heard and thought, huh, wonder who wrote that. We knew the people that were saying it. So there's no doubt in my mind there's something out there. What it is, honestly, I have no clue. And that's an honest answer. I appreciate that. You know, I definitely appreciate that. But you also meant something pretty interesting about the uh, fish and game. Uh, are are they still around? Because it's, you know, a lot of people say there's conspiracies with people hiding stuff. Uh, the government knows. The land development agencies know. Would Would you think... If they're still around, would, was there any official writing up on this with the fishing game? Would they speak of it? Um, I know they came out in in conjunction with, I believe it was Weber State University. And, and again, don't quote me exact on this. I, I need to look it up and, and ask a few questions. But they're the ones that came out and did the plaster cast. And, I, and the Barkers, Jay Barker, he was the owner of the trout farm. Um, I think the fishing game held the cast for a while, but then they turned it over to Jay Barker, and the owner of the trout farm is the one that actually has the plaster cast on display now. And, and the trout farm is still in existence in the exact same location. So they they had it. They didn't try to hide it. They actually turned it back over to him and said, okay, we've we've done everything we can with it. It was on your property. You can actually have it now. Gotcha. And he what probably still has that in his possession, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. He he he's as as far as I know what I've been told, he still has it. I've actually been talking to some of his kids and I mean I'm I'm gonna head up there and uh get it and get some more more accurate stories from him. Awesome. one of the things kinda of interesting is because a lot of times when people have an encounter they they don't have anybody they can tell it to and they're not comfortable. That that was that's kind of unique where you, your whole community was talking about it. So you didn't have, you know, you, you didn't have to like hold it inside. You were able to talk about your, what happened. So, well, that's it. And we not only didn't hold it inside, everybody was warning everybody what was going on. It was, it was kind of a community watch program that the whole community banded together and said, okay, it was over here last night. Everybody be on the lookout. It was over here. This was happening over here. So it wasn't even it, it didn't evolve to oh my gosh I have a good story listen to what I have it was more hey you know what this is going on over here keep your doors locked we this happened over here in the neighborhood in this guy's backyard watch out for this so it almost it was the whole community banding together saying 
we don't know what it is. We keep seeing it. There's no way we can catch it or track it because <laughs> it's too <laughs> fast. But but it was more the community banding together in in holding each other's hands of what is going on in our community. We have to get through this together rather than, oh, my gosh, I have a good story. You want to hear what happened? <laughs> yeah. Sounds like we need to get you on Naked and Afraid in search of Bigfoot. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> but not not naked anymore. Let's, uh, I want to be quiet. Yeah, trust me. I, remember I, I watched the episode, and I, I don't enjoy seeing people naked personally, but uh, you uh, you handled it well, uh, and uh, it would be an interesting show to see you back out there again doing something else because <laughs> you're very yeah, charismatic. Well, yeah, well, thank you. It was the most stupid, awesome thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at the end of the said you said, I'm never taking my clothes off again. Yeah, and the, the, and the producer legitimately asked me, he says, he says, uh, would you ever do this again? I said, no. And he said, why? And I said, because I will never take my clothes off again. <laughs> and, and then he says, poor Sherry, your girlfriend back home. So, <laughs> but 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 uh, I've 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 learned to shower without clothes on again. It took a while, but <laughs> it was a great experience. Tough toughest experience in my life, but it was a great experience. And, you, and, and like you what, said, something you your watch, kids can look back upon and 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 uh, be proud of their pops for uh, committing to something and seeing it through. Absolutely. We're only as good as what we say we are. I mean, everybody can talk big, but I'll tell you, true character comes in the darkest hours. That's If you want to see somebody's colors, put them through hell and see how they come out of it. Well said. Well, you you were impressive on, on the show. It was fun to watch. So and now I'm now I'm hooked. I'm gonna have to see. I'm gonna be a naked and afraid fan from here on out. So hey, um, hey, that's awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad we created the fan because it's honestly the most realistic survival show out there right now. It's that that a lot of people think that it's all made up and it's scripted. It's not. There's a camera crew, and your only goal is to not die, and they're there to document it. That's all. You know, sometimes it's Hollywood, and they'll they'll paint it to look like a storyline or something exciting and dramatic, but hey, if you didn't give it to them, they can't dare it. And it's just you out there doing your thing and they're filming it. So the the uh, what's next for Trent Nielsen? <laughs> that's that's a good question. I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure what's next for me. Um I don't know. It's everything's up in the air. I I am a sprag guy. And I'll I'll jump at about anything, but but something hard fast on the horizon right now. I'm I don't know. I haven't made any plans yet. I think I think we should get you on a, a special guest uh, episode of Finding Bigfoot. Yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> that would be fun. Maybe maybe on the episode we actually find him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Zing. Oh, you... <laughs> Zing, yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey, there's there's enough going on, honestly, guys. It's it's just a matter of time. We have technology. Everybody has it on them now. Um, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I, I'm in the same boat as you, Trent. I do believe it's a matter of time. You know, uh, Gunnar and I uh, do this blog talk radio show, but we're we're you know we're active researchers in the field. Uh, if we're not out every week, we're out every two weeks um, doing our thing um, and, and collaborating with other researchers and groups. And uh, not only is it fun, 
but I believe we're getting somewhere with a lot of the data we're collecting and, and whatnot. And uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer in Bigfoot. I, I know they exist. What they are, I'm like you. I don't know. You know, I got my own opinions and ideas, but there's something out there, and what it is is yet to be determined. But uh, it is a matter of time, and people have been saying it for a long time. But I truly believe it is really a matter of time uh, before uh, you know this thing's proven to exist, and uh, it'll be a it'll be a good day, I believe. A lot of people don't want it proven, and I understand why. But um, until then, you know, uh, many of us will keep plugging away and 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 talking to people like you, Trent that have a fantastic story and um, a great background. Um, and it's been very enlightening tonight talking to you. I've really enjoyed this conversation and everything uh, you brought to the table, my friend. Hey, well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate the format to, to speak openly about it as well. It's uh, it's good to talk to people that uh, <laughs> understand what you're talking about. We'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Well, Gunner, uh, I've been really enjoyed this this show uh, talking to Trent, and I'm really happy you joined us. What are your thoughts? Um, it, you know, it's interesting the the connection, of course, the Bigfoot uh, story from from his childhood, and you know, it even more compelling that there was all that activity in the in the neighborhood. That always is interesting to me is what you know causes um, uh, Bigfoot be, to to, when they seem pretty shy and stuff, there, there must have been some some compelling reason for them to be um, making that much contact in, and uh, going in and and um, it sounds like they might have had a, a food shortage or or they just were it was a, a target of convenience or or whatever. But yeah. um, either way, something, I, something's going yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was pretty. It was, yeah, it was pretty cool. But Trent, if if you're out ever out in you know Oregon and you want to go. Out looking for Bigfoot, give us a call. We're uh, like, like Shane said, we're out in the the woods really often, and we uh, have had some really weird stuff happen. So, oh, I, I definitely will. I'm up in Portland, Oregon, all the time because I have two stepkids that live up there, and and we're always up there. So I, I'll get with you guys and let's, you know, let's go have some fun together. Oh, definitely. <laughs> we're uh, we're both in that general area, so. Uh, We'll uh, definitely uh, hook up and, and uh, head out sometime. Uh, even if nothing happens or whatnot, you'll get to see some beautiful scenery and enjoy uh, some of the lesser-known parts of Oregon. Oh, I love the Northwest. I'm always down for that. Awesome. Well, uh, well thank you, Trent, thanks. for uh, joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was that was that was a lot of fun. I appreciate all your guys' insights and, and what you guys are doing out there too, because it's, it's fun to follow people that follow this and, and hear all the different stories. And what's amazing to me is the similarities. You, you, you see stories of people that don't even have contact with each other and their stories are a lot similar than you would think. That sure lends, uh, you know, a lot of validation to, to what uh, people experience. So pretty cool. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. You bet. Thanks, Trent. Absolutely. So, so Shane, that was that's uh, Trent Nielsen again, folks. That was on. Just uh, watch for his episode. Go check it out. Uh, Naked and afraid. Um, the guy really, really uh, shored up after getting you know uh, his his uh, counterpart uh, split after three days. And uh, Trent held on for the next 18 days by himself and managed to finish the the challenge. So 
the guy's got yeah. some uh, cojones, uh, you know, oh, and, and and dealt with the fact that that because of his encounter when he was he was not real comfortable in with the dark, so <laughs> and he managed to work through that. So kudos to him, and it was great that we were able to get him on on a Monster X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kudos to him. It takes a lot to do that sort of thing. <clears throat> you know, uh, you know. first you have to have Coney's out there naked, and the next spend, you know, the next 21 <laughs> days away from your family and your social life uh, with nothing. Uh, you know, and a lot of people say, oh, I could do that easily. I, it's a lot tougher, especially when you're thrown in there, you're not familiar with, like he said, the jungle. He's, he's not familiar with right. the jungle. Throw him in the mountain, he'll do a lot better. But he made it through, and uh, he was a fantastic guest tonight uh, with uh, some incredible uh, – incredible uh, stories, uh, stuff that I'm actually going to follow up on because it's very intriguing uh, to me with that area. Yeah, that, that, that was pretty cool, that, that whole whole stuff going on in the neighborhood for a solid month and everybody talking about it, which is pretty unusual, so pretty cool. Absolutely. And uh, that's uh, about all the time we have for this week's Monster X. Uh, I'd like to thank Trent Nielsen again from Naked and Afraid uh, for joining us today and sharing his his uh, Bigfoot encounter. And thanks to you, Shane, for, for being here. And uh, enjoy your week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Monster X Radio. Mm-hmm.